Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session thanks to cpdjunkie.com.au. Have you ever tried to learn a language? When they talk about learning a language, usually they say it's best to immerse yourself in the language, go to the country and speak the language, read the language and, and really integrate with it. It makes sense that that works similarly if you're trying to learn a discipline of dentistry. And many people, particularly early in their career, will go and work in a hospital, a teaching hospital, in a specific discipline department. Our guest today is Dr. Amir Azami. You know him well from the Newbie Dentist podcast as well as CPD Junkie and Foresight, where we've partnered together. As well as running these things in his spare time, Amid is working full-time with Melbourne Dental Hospital in the oral surgery department. His oral surgery residency is immersing him in that discipline and helping him learn and gain the skills he needs to be the best he can in oral surgery. And I think many of us find that to be a really interesting concept as we graduate from dental school to, to go into a specific discipline and, and dive deep and become really good at it. Just like watching general dentists, if you work within one of these residencies, you learn all the little tips that the specialists do. And in this episode, Amit shares a few of these tips. But first, we start off with why Amit is interested in oral surgery and what led him to the Melbourne Dental Hospital Oral Surgery Department. I was working for probably about three years in total, um, some time off in between and all that, but I you know, on a day to day, I was realizing that if I was getting stuck doing something, I'd be less like frustrated or pissed off if it was surgery. Like I could, I kind of enjoyed working my way out of a problem more so in surgery than in endo or if like I'm I'm putting a sectional on and I just can't like get a tight contact. I was just like, that stuff would just really frustrate me more than, you know, fracturing a root tip and not being able to retrieve it. And this particular job at the Royal Dental Hospital in Melbourne here uh, was a job that I really kind of wanted to do like when I first graduated, but you know, just circumstance and, and moving back to Canada and things, I never had the opportunity to like apply for it or, or have a try and see if I could land a position. Uh, cause it is like, you know, fairly competitive. So I wanted to kind of get deeper into an area or a subject area. So, you know, without going to specialize, I thought this would be the best way to like solidify a portion of dentistry, like for the rest of my career, essentially, um, you know, I'll still be a general dentist at the end of it. I'm not getting some sort of special credential or, uh, I'm not going to you know, come out and claim to be some sort of like oral surgeon or play with words on my you know website buyer or anything like that. But, you know, if, if I'm a patient comes to me and I need to take a tooth out, I'll have, you know, long-term skills and things like that, that I can help them out. And if I can't, at least I'll know what I don't know, um, which is a cool thing about this job is you realize like there are certain things that you shouldn't be touching. And I think a lot of general dentists may not know that. Um, so to, to put that into like practical perspective, you know, I would, you know, dabble in, you know, wisdom teeth, impacted aids. And there was a lot of kind of stress as I was doing these things because, I didn't necessarily have the reps and you don't get the frequency. Like, you know, you might do one a month or two a month. I wasn't in a high volume practice where I was, you know, doing it day in, day out to, you know, really work out the, the kinks and get the repetition. So uh, I, I thought, you know, if you really want to do this well and to a satisfactory level, you need the repetition and where, like, where else um, than this job, I guess it's a great opportunity to kind of get that. It was an interesting ego thing as well because you you in private practice you're the boss and you make the decisions and then you go into this residency where you're kind of very junior 
So you're all of a sudden, in a way, like a student again, and you have to get things checked out and and ask questions and and not be able to have autonomy necessarily in your decision making, which is which was interesting. But uh, on on the flip side, you have you know consultant uh, oral maxillofacial surgeons like suctioning for you and being like, oh, this is how I raise my flap. This is you know try this, try that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that level of like CPD is like un, unparalleled, um, mm-hmm. and people would pay like good money to kind of experience that. So um, I had I, it was a big like sort of like we always talk about like the Kruger effect and things like when I first started the job I was like how did like how did I get wisdom teeth out before like working here like there's I got so lucky and sort of one of the things I heard and I think it was probably like in some other podcast or something is the worst thing that can happen to us is we get lucky doing things incorrectly um, mm-hmm. and I think that like oral surgery is one of those um, or even like endo or like if you just do something incorrectly and it just happens to work and then you kind of stick with that same thing and then sometimes it works sometimes you get stuck and you're like oh this tooth was something wrong with the tooth or the case was like abnormally hard or something it wasn't like my my skill Mm, that's really interesting mindset actually do you have that now with other parts of dentistry as well or yeah and yeah definitely like i you know doing some private shifts here and there now and i'm like i really shouldn't be doing endo like at all because if i'm if i'm doing it like once every six weeks seven weeks uh like, am I actually like competent at doing, at doing it anymore? Like at, at that level. Um, so I look at like my skills and knowledge that I've developed around like dental alveolar surgery. Uh, I don't have that same reps or skills or knowledge or anything like that around like endo, for example. I think that's such an important thing. We all of us have gone through that. I can completely um, empathize with that and feel the same way about many parts of dentistry. I refer most molar endos now and things like that and things I you know made mistakes early on. And I think you've raised a really good point there. Aesthetics is not just prepping teeth. If we want to be minimally invasive, we need to use aligners or some sort of orthodontics to put the teeth in the right place before we change their form. And of course, the pioneer of this is Invisalign. They've got the most experience, the most cases have gone through their platform and the most in-depth tools to use to get your patients from where they are to where they want to be. Once you're ready to provide aligners, Invisalign Go is the perfect entry point. It's the first step in becoming an Invisalign provider, allowing you to do relatively simple cases effectively and efficiently with their online tools. Go to invisalign-doctor.com.au to start your aligner journey today. The the good thing about the job is you get to see a lot of things that you know, you get referred everything that's hard in the public system. So anyone that goes through any of the community clinics, uh, any tricky extractions or any you know complicated medical histories or anything like that gets referred centrally to the dental hospital, and then our role as a residents were sort of like the first line of like screening it. So we would see the patient, and early on, probably you know every ten patients, like seven patients, you'd walk out with the CBCT or the OPG or uh, the med history and walk over to one of the senior like registrars or or consultants, um, and like what should I do? Should we do this? Should we do this? And it's cool because over time you kind of you learn. Okay, this is Emranch. This is how we deal with Emranch. This is how we manage it, and you don't necessarily need like to check in every time. So that's that's one cool progression of it. And then on top of that, we get procedures. So in any given day, like there'll be certain like a set of four by eight wisdom teeth, or a biopsy, or removing tori, or um, any other like difficult extraction with like a you know uh, they're on warfarin or they have a history of like polio injections and things. So you get that general baseline of just like seeing these patients managing it with the added like comfort blanket, I guess, of 
there's a guy next door with you know <laughs> ten years experience. That, you know, is at, uh, is at OMFS, so they can just walk in and be like, yeah, yeah, just do that, 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 all good. Or no, that's normal. That should look like that. So, um, so gradually with that, you 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 expand your comfort zone and you appreciate. Okay, this is my range of comfort, um, and that's expanded. Like from when I started to now, um, I'll be in situations where okay, I'll just, I can't I can't get this root up. Okay, flap bone gutter and that's like a comf- like I'm comfortable in that space now whereas you know as a general, as a general dentist you know you got to do it but you're not like your hands are a bit you get a little bit tight you're a little bit stressed um or you you're too slow at making those decisions so you spend 30 minutes trying to luxate and it doesn't do anything and then okay I guess I have to like flap it now and then so your appointment's like running long and you're getting stressed because of the time and the next patient's waiting and uh all, all those things that come with it so I think that's the the biggest perk of this job is comfortably expanding your range because you have support with you. Mm-hmm. I definitely am um, guilty of that. M- not making that decision quick enough, something I'm learning quite um, quickly, I guess, and a lot because I talk to you about this a lot. So yeah. what, what else have you learned? What do you think are the differences between you a year ago and you now having done this position? Yeah, and, and I think I was telling you this when we were chatting previously. One of our consultants, uh, she is an amazing teacher. And so she, she has this phrase, and I guess that you can look at it, you can get offended if you're a dentist, but she's like, you know, <laughs> if, you, if like, like she'll be watching me take a tooth out and she's like are you taking this tooth out like a dentist or like an oral surgeon or a, a OMFS I think the difference really just comes out like surgery you know it's not as like on the surface it might not be as like a you know f- artisan like finesse thing as like you know sculpting occlusal anatomy and things it's a bit more macro but still it's you got to do like clean work and you got to respect like the tissues and bone and um, mm. the trauma and things like that so certain things you know for example like the easiest thing I've learned that you know doesn't really add any procedure time or anything like that is, you know, when we're, like say hypothetically you're taking out uh, lower lower six, right? Um, and you would normally start luxating from like the you know you wedge it in between the five and the six in the mesial and then like wiggle wiggle and then so normally I would do that and you know you're like tra- you're you're like squishing the papilla, you're traumatizing the papilla and things like that as you do that. And oftentimes you'll get the tooth out and the papilla is all like kind of purple and discolored and. Um, mm-hmm traumatized so you know one simple thing that the pretty much like any oral surgeon that you watch or max x that you watch for like a tooth that's not like you know grade three mobile is just like a quick crystal release so you release the papillae and flick them away so you're kind of working under the papilla if that makes sense so that's out your Mm -hmm. way so you're not traumatizing the papilla is it almost an envelope flap, but not a flap? Like, are you just going through the papilla or like um, crestal and then peeling it back a tiny bit? Yeah. So essentially, yeah, you're not you're not like you know tearing off the periosteum off the mm. like buccal mm. bone or anything, but it's just enough that you can just slide your like periosteal elevator. And just, the papilla are kind of just like loose flapping essentially. So then you can get your luxator in like behind the papilla, so you're not traumatizing it. Mm. And then if you have that on the buccal as well, sometimes especially in like, I guess like older patients with some bone loss, you can actually like visualize the frication almost. Um, mm-hmm. So you're not going in there blind. So all it takes is if you're trying to section the tooth, then you just slide your uh, Minnesota retractor just in that little sl- yep. pot envelope. And then just, you know, you're right there and you just section it really clean. No soft tissue trauma, mi- like minimal risk of like, you know, cut, cutting the, uh, the gingiva with the burr and things like that. So, um, I think that's been like really simple. So now like even in private practice, if I'm just taking out any tooth, premolar upper or lower molars, I'll just, you know, have a scalpel and just release those two papillae. And then I get my luxator in there and I'm elevating and doing all that. And really when you're done, you just, you know, a couple of stitches to bring those papillae back and you're done. And it's just, 
much less trauma and less post-operative discomfort for the patient. So I think that's like the simplest thing. And then from there, it's really easy to like, if you get stuck and you need to flap it, I think it's like a, a point where you can extend those, just add like a relieving incision and, and, you're, and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. So everything becomes a lot quicker and you can make that decision because you can also see, I assume. Yeah. You can actually see yeah. the bone, see the tooth. Visualization is everything, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you suture every tooth after that? Every uh, f- Yeah, pretty much every tooth I suture now. And that's yeah. like, and you know, with coding as well, like they would get on a case, they're like, you know, as oral surgeons, like at the minimum, it should be a 322 surgical mm-hmm. extraction because you're, you are, it's like a better you know, service to the patient than just like just getting in there, ramming out luxator and traumatizing the papilla and getting it out. Um, you're just doing cleaner work that way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Are there other other small things that you've picked up from this course that the listeners could benefit from? Um, so I think so. That's that's a huge one just for like routine extractions. Um, I think for for surgical extractions, really, and you know, you hear it in schools like, okay, if it's not coming out, it's either you got to remove tooth or remove bone. Um, but I think it's really, there's a whole, there's a, the visualization of it is huge. So, you know, if, if you like snap a root tip off or your roots not moving, it's, it's generally like held up somewhere. So if you can just, you know, have, at least have a flap reflected or remove a bit of, you know, trough a bit of that buccal bone and you can see the root and like, okay, it's this bit of an undercut here. And literally just remove the undercut and it just, it's really red, like teeth want to come out unless, you know, there's some abnormal, like ankle, they're ankylosed or like something like if you can, or if I'm doing it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so if, if you find the, if you find the, what's holding it up and that just comes through visualization and then having the comfort zone of, okay, it's stuck here. I need to remove this bone or section the tooth and it should come up. How quickly do you make these decisions? So normally, I mean, I've seen some surgeons just like, they just, We'll pick up a you know pick up a luxator, like like a minute of luxating, and if it's like really lux like if it's really moving, then they'll just like proceed and just put some forceps on and, and take it out, um, and if it's not, then they'll just you know section it essentially and get it out that way. So section straight away, and then if uh, any other steps needed, then there's a buckle gutter after that, and yeah. going down the line. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. And the flap would come before or after sectioning. Do they have a section without raising flap? Um, I think at the minimum they would have the envelope flap. Yeah, the little. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, I haven't like it's it's in, it's funny because you know I learned my basic oral surgery uh, back in Canada and my that kind of mentor was a, a prosthodontist, uh, so he was very like doing a lot of implants and things. So he he was very in favor of like closed extraction. So he would mm. personally never raise a flap. So he would just do everything within the socket, um, and he'd use like fine tapered like diamond burrs. To like trough, um, whereas <laughs> surgery is a bit more like mm-hmm. just. It's, I think surgery in the Maxax world, from the way we've been taught, is is more about efficiency and speed. Because um, mm-hmm. the longer you're in there, the more trauma you're causing. So the quicker you can just get in and get out, then the less overall trauma and post op discomfort there'll be. Yeah. Okay. And when when you hear that um, the comment, you know, are you taking this out like a dentist or an oral surgeon? I think there's a lot that goes into that. You know, there's a lot of meaning there, which is, are you making those decisions faster? Are you doing the flaps? Are you grazing the um, or doing a gutter? Um, what does that mean to you? Like, what do you get from that, and what do you think we should learn from that? I think really just comes down to, are you thinking about the tissues? Are you respecting the tissues? Are you respecting the uh, they're trying to minimize post-op discomfort for the patient and just doing it in the best way, kind of efficiency possible. Because I've been there, you know, you feel like a hack as a as a dentist sometimes. Like I, I was like that, like taking out a wisdom tooth, and you're you're kind of like you lose grip of like 
logic and you're just trying to get it out because you're getting yeah, like frustrated yeah. and it's not coming and you're like you're putting too much force maybe or you're just like making sections that don't make sense or you're, like you lose especially with wisdom teeth like you'll lose your orientation and you're like you'll split it and you're like i don't know what's left now like am i looking at the root am i looking at the buccal cusp is the lingual cusp um so i think it's like those things that you shouldn't put yourself in that situation and you have, and that comes down to preparedness mm. yeah that's a really good point yeah and one last thing uh because i've noticed this big time now going back and forth is in terms of the auxiliary, like your nursing, like having a good nurse that is comfortable with surgical procedures makes a huge difference. Uh, the setup of the room and instruments, like just having, like in at the dental hospital, even if it's like a routine premolar and we're taking it out, we'll have like the full surgical setup, like ready to go. Because you don't, the, the worst thing is you're, all you have is like a luxator and like some upper unis. And then, you know, the, the crown snaps off and now you got to, okay, just give us a second. And then you're setting up your scalpel and your like surgical suction and, and like trying to find the root tip, like, you know, uh, root picks or, so just having like a good sound setup from the start. So you have everything there with you. So you have that comfort as well. Um, I think that makes a huge difference in terms of preparedness. And probably help people make decisions in a more efficient manner too. Yeah. Because you're not trying to just avoid the surgery. Yeah, MacGyver it, so as they say. <laughs> yeah, MacGyver it. Well, I, I mean, I think there, there's a lot of food for thought there. Um, I wanted to ask one last question. Sure. Um, so you're doing the the working in Melbourne Dental Hospital in the oral surgery department. Is it mostly people who have just graduated or are you getting a big range of people? And do you recommend it? Uh, we have a great range. So we have we have a good brand new grad Uh so it's his first job out of dental school, and it's quite impressive because you know to be doing this kind of stuff uh, as a new grad, it's it's awesome. And uh, I I think back, I'm like I probably couldn't have done that probably off the bat. Um, and then we have people like myself, or maybe like two three years out, who've worked a bit and maybe decided oh they want to have a try at getting into Max Vax or get a little bit more hands on experience before like taking the plunge and like applying for med school and things. So uh, I don't I. I think they prefer not to have a brand new grad. Um, some exceptional, like if people are like that keen and they've done like you know, research and things, you can get that job out of dental school, I think. Um, but generally, they'd probably like you have worked like for a year and then kind of get into it. But yeah, I mean, if, if you're interested in MaxVax uh, at all um, or even like specializing, I think it's a great job to get because you just have, it's a really supportive environment and they really support your studies and support your applications with references and that kind of stuff. So um yeah, it's a great, definitely a great place to be for a year at least. Well, Omid, um, you do run the Nibby Dennis podcast. We work together doing CPD Junkie. I appreciate your time and all your insights. Thank uh, thanks you. for the opportunity. It was great. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists. Implants. It's such a broad topic and something we really don't learn that much about at uni. So but many of us are looking for a course that can teach us and allow us to safely place implants for our patients in our practice. Most courses are intensive theory courses, but they lack a practical component. But then there are the practical courses often overseas where all you're doing is practice. ARIA Dental Education provides an implant course that has both.
It's a five-module master implant program where at the end you do a live placement with specialists observing. Aria's just released their new course for 2021 in Melbourne and CPD Junkie has a discount code to get 5% off the program. I've had the pleasure of doing this course this year and I can't wait to place my first implant, of course, when restrictions lift. If you're interested in placing your first implant with Aria Dental Education, go to cpdjunkie.com.au for 5% off.